Hello, everyone. I'm Maike Slot, and you're listening to Do We Click, a monthly research podcast on the digital relationship between journalists and their audiences. Do We Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam. This is episode two, in which I'll share how frustrating audience metrics can be and define the journalist-audience relationship. In addition, my research assistant, Temi de Groen, will tell you about two international cases that show very different ways in which news organizations try to strengthen the relationship they have with their audiences. Dear LinkedIn, I made a post about my research project's first podcast, Do We Click?, and shared it on your website. Thanks to your analytics, I was happy to see that after a day, it had already received over 1,200 views. But when I checked my LinkedIn page again in the evening, I was shocked to see that, all of a sudden, the stats had dropped to only 425. Can you please explain how that is possible? People cannot unview my post, right? Best regards, Maaike. Many of you who create something for your own audience may relate to this rather frustrating encounter with analytics. You want your content to be seen by others. If you bake a cake, it's good to see that people actually eat and enjoy it, right? And the same holds for journalists and researchers. Audience attention, clicks, views or reading minutes is some kind of confirmation that your content is relevant or appreciated, that you have not put in the effort in vain. It's tempting that on the internet real-time data is available on audience behavior. More views is easily equal to better. And to see the numbers increase can be addictive in a sense. I found myself checking the statistics of my LinkedIn post and podcast feed regularly, leading up to the moment I typed out a message to LinkedIn staff asking why my views disappeared. But after sending it, I thought back to the main message of my first podcast. It's not only about quantitative measurements or clicks, the real relationship you have with your audience is more complex than that. To be able to say something about impact, we first need to explore what this relationship means. In academia, definitions are important. They help us to understand in detail what we mean when we use a specific term in a particular context. For a doctor thinking about her patients, trust will mean something different than for a lawyer specialized in organizational law. Good definitions also enable researchers to analyze certain phenomena in a systematic way. To be able to answer my research question, which role do online technologies play in the relationship between Dutch journalists and news users, we thus need to be on the same page on how we explain the term relationship. The Oxford Dictionary has a very simple definition of the term. The way in which two or more people or things are connected. This means you don't have a relationship by yourself, there's always somebody else involved and this somebody can be non-human, such as your pet or your smartphone. That's informative, but does not provide us with more characteristics of this connection. You can have a connection because you are family or because you have a certain partnership, such as a marriage. And also when you are associated with someone based on love, you have a relationship. This is not the type of relationship that I study, although you might be able to find some common elements. For example, 
both in a romantic relationship and a journalist-audience relationship, there is a motivation to interact, and both parties invest time and energy in this connection. There is reciprocity, an important aspect. But the click, the relationship that I'm exploring here, takes place on a different level. Here, defining relationships as the way in which two or more people or groups regard and behave towards each other seems better suited for my research. It allows for a more professional connotation than an interpersonal relationship based on love. The definition contains two elements, regarding and behaving. The stressing that the relationship materializes not only in what journalists and audiences do, but also in how they think about each other. It's exactly this division between practices and perceptions that's a central element in a more academic view of the journalist-audience relationship. In 2015, Schmidt and Lawson, researchers at the Leibniz Institute for Media Research, published an article in Digital Journalism in which they conceptualized a journalist-audience relationship. First, we need to conclude that studies that consider both sides of the relationship are rare. Very often, researchers either focus on the journalist side or the audience side. But since the relationship between journalists and their audience is going through a transformation, it's important to connect both parties. Schmidt and Lawson do that by using the idea of inclusion distance. Now it's getting a bit more complicated. Let me explain it further. Inclusion distance is used by the researchers to measure two things. First, they want to see to what extent the practices of journalists and their audiences are in line with each other. They call that performance. Schmidt and Lawson specifically focus on activities that stimulate, articulate, and aggregate communication between journalists and their audiences. For example, when journalists have made communicating with their audiences on social media a routine, and audience members interact with them by discussing their articles or videos, there is consistency in the relationship. But if a news organization opens up all articles on their website for comments, but nobody reacts, there's something off. Inclusion performance is not balanced. The second important aspect that is measured in inclusion distance is the way journalists perceive themselves, their audiences, and vice versa. Strategic considerations and motivations for audience members to participate in journalism also play a role in these perceptions. The authors use the term inclusion expectations to clarify it. It's more ideological than practical. Again, Let's clarify with an example. When audience members believe that the job of a journalist is to give an opinion, and this journalist believes her job is to report in an objective way, there's a discrepancy in the expectations. But when a journalist thinks his role as a moderator starts at the moment an article is published, and the audience is also motivated to discuss the content with the journalist, the relationship, translated into inclusion perceptions, is more congruent. Because Schmidt and Lawson have a quantitative perspective, they rely on measurements and statistics, they state that inclusion performance can be high or low, uh, even or uneven, and inclusion expectations can have a big or small discrepancy. They thus try to translate this theoretical model into scales that can actually be measured. And they have done some case studies in Germany to see what can be said when this model is actually used. They researched a daily TV newscast and a weekly political talk show. In these case studies, they focus on the inclusion expectations and leave the practices, inclusion performance, aside. What are the main outcomes of their research? 
three conclusions stand out. The first one is comforting. In essence, journalists and their audiences are not very far apart when it comes to their expectations of what it means to be a journalist. Both sides agree on the fact that journalists need to provide objective, fast, and reliable information on complex issues. A quite traditional viewpoint. This hasn't changed. So no, audience members do not want just sensationalism, but expect journalists to do their job in a thorough way. The second conclusion is more challenging. Because of new technologies, audiences have access to tools to participate themselves. And here, journalists and their audiences seem to drift apart a bit. Journalists are less likely to believe than their audiences that they need to provide their public with the opportunities to participate, for example, through user-generated content. This can indicate that there is still some room for improvement. Like the second, the last conclusion suggests that the relationship between journalists and their audiences is not completely aligned. This is due to the fact that journalists are more likely to think that the motivations for participation of the audience are often rooted in emotions such as boredom, anger, or frustration. This might be fed by actual experiences with audience response. Those readers who send you angry emails in the middle of the night about this article which is not balanced in their eyes. Negative experiences usually linger longer than positive experiences, or we tend to focus on them more. Audience members themselves are more inclined to say that they participate out of more rational motivations, for example, to address topics that are important to them. For me, the model of inclusion distance is useful as a starting point. I do believe that both practices and perceptions should be taken into account, and I will pay attention to both sides in my interviews. But I also have some criticism. Although the translation of the theory into a model with scales and numbers is an interesting experiment, I think that the complexities and nuances of the journalist-audience relationship are difficult to catch in a quantitative way. It creates similar problems as just looking at clicks when you want to say something about the impact you have as a journalist. I will therefore not use the mathematical translation of the theory. Also, I want to explore in more depth how technology plays a part in this relationship. In this specific theory, technology is a bit hidden in the practices part, the inclusion performances. However, there are theories that give a more specific role to technology. I will discuss one example in my next podcast. I have not found the perfect definition of the relationship just yet. More work to be done. The outcomes of the German case study are also interesting, but they do not give us insights in the Dutch situation for now. We will keep them in mind. Do you have a reflection on these differences in perspectives, the use of user-generated content and the motivations to participate? Let me know. How do you perceive audience participation in journalism? As I told you in the previous episode, to get more insights in the way news organizations try to maintain and build their relationship with their audiences online, we started researching various cases abroad and in the Netherlands. Just to give you a first sneak peek into our observations at this point in time, my research assistant, Tammy de Groen, will explain what we have found so far and give you two interesting examples. Tammy, take it away. Over the past weeks, I've been looking into different news organizations and the ways they attempt to build relationships with their audiences. As Mike explained at the beginning of this podcast, in this context, 
The term relationship refers to the ways journalists and their audiences do things and think about each other. It is important to consider this definition again because it leads us to a key element of this concept, reciprocity. For journalists to be able to build a relationship with their audiences, they need to receive something in return from them, and vice versa. As Micah put it, the performances and expectations of both sides need to be in balance. However, so far, I've found few examples of truly reciprocal relationships. Instead, most news organizations rely on technological tools to engage with their audiences, which is generally limited to one-sided communication. For example, many news sites let audience members click a save, like, or applaud button on articles. This is an easy way for them to let the journalists know that they enjoyed it. Another example is how many news organizations have tools integrated in their websites that allow readers to share articles on social media. Both of these tools are relatively common, but neither allow for two-sided communication between audiences and journalists. There are, of course, certain well-known exceptions to this. Organizations who apply more creative tools and tricks, such as The Guardian in England or The Correspondent in the Netherlands. But I wanted to present something a little bit more off the radar. The two cases that I've ultimately decided to discuss are interesting because these news organizations are so different from each other in their understanding of the relationship they have, or should have, with their audiences. One is the German Perspective Daily, and the second is MIT Media, a Swedish media company. Let's start with the Swedish one. MIT Media is a Swedish media group focused on, as they put it, high-quality local journalism. They currently have up to 120 years of experience in the field of journalism and publishing, with their roots in traditional media, specifically print. In an article on Medium, Robin Govic, the company's chief digital officer, explains that like many other news organizations, MIT Media struggled with the transition from print to digital media. He explains that the first big step they made towards developing a better relationship with their audience was to start thinking about who their audience really was. In the first phases of building their online presence, their platform relied on ad revenue, and with that on traffic, or in other words, quantity of clicks. However, now, their focus lies with selling subscriptions, and the most effective way to do so, they found, is to get users to engage with the product. But to achieve this, they had to step away from a process of content production that assumes that all users are exposed to the same content and that the content that is created should therefore reflect the average user's interests. This approach, rooted in traditions of print media, is not effective in a digital environment where the audience is no longer looking for news, but instead, the news has to find them. Therefore, MIT Media decided to create their own data platform, Solder, to collect data on their users' consumption patterns and create a personalization service. The goal of this is to provide users with the right content at the right time through the right channels, so that they will read more articles and ultimately are more likely to pay for a subscription. In addition, using their own data platform allows MIT Media to have full insight into the data. Solder thus acts as an alternative to, for example, Google Analytics or Facebook, which do not provide news organizations with transparent insights into the data, resulting in a black box effect. The data they collect is then also applied to enable data-informed content production, using data insights to produce the right content for specific audiences, by translating this information into content guidelines to inform their journalists. These guidelines highlight what local journalists should focus on and provide recommendations of more specific elements to in or exclude. The focus here lies, as far as I can tell, with improving the relevance of content to the audience, and thus on how they write, rather than what they write. This first case represents one end of the spectrum, where journalists are engaging with their audience through data. 
The focus of this relationship is thus to create loyalty by knowing what the readers, who are very much approached as consumers, want or expect to read from journalists. The process here, however, is much more sophisticated than many of the examples I've seen so far, and the company has produced impressive results, whilst, according to them, still managing to uphold the same journalistic values. This seems like a good idea, although, as a news organization, you need to have in-house technical skills to build a tool like that, something that especially smaller news organizations might not have. As I said, however, the two cases I chose are very different. Whereas MidMedia relies heavily on technology in the relationship with their audience, Perspective Daily takes a different approach. I mentioned the Dutch news platform De Correspondent earlier as a key example for news organizations who focus on building a direct relationship with their audience. They take their articles as a starting point for a more in-depth discussion with their readers or ask them to assist in analyzing data and coming up with ideas on specific issues. This initiative was actually a big inspiration for Perspective Daily. Perspective Daily was funded through a crowdsourcing campaign in 2016 and relies on memberships only, as it is an ad-free platform. They specialize in constructive journalism, which aims to go beyond explaining issues by also discussing possible solutions. According to Perspective Daily, many news organizations create an image of our society that is mostly negative, and this leads us, the audience, to develop a distorted image of the world, because that is what supposedly sells best. This is something Perspective Daily wants to avoid. Instead, they publish five in-depth articles every week, which are focused on long-term issues or occurrences, rather than hypercurrent events, providing different perspectives and possible solutions. A key part of Perspective Daily's formula is to promote direct and meaningful interactions between their readers and journalists. There are extensive profiles available of the entire team of journalists with information about their background, expertise, contact information, and previous work. The platform also organizes real-life events, and an overview of the events that the different journalists will be attending is available on the website. Additionally, readers can engage in discussions below articles, in which journalists themselves engage as well. For example, one of Perspective Daily's writers, Benjamin Fuchs, recently wrote an article about using an electric car to go on holiday during the winter, which had up to 60 comments added to it. In the discussion section, readers comment on the quality of the article or ask questions, particularly in regard to sources or numbers. A challenge that this brings, however, as Perspective Daily explains, is that the journalists are sometimes asked very detailed questions that don't have much to do with the content of the article. In this case, for example, there was a reader who wanted to know how he had packed the skis on the roof of the car. Engaging with your audience in such a way is more labor-intensive and does not always give you the result that you want. Perspective Daily, thus, has a very different idea of the relationship that should exist between journalists and their audiences, in which readers are not only seen as consumers, but as co-authors as well. This might lead to a more reciprocal relationship. At least audience members will be more directly aware that they are listened to. As a side note, a strategy like this might not work for all audience members. Not all of us want to be actively involved in news production or discussions, and it requires a different state of mind of the journalist. Their article's just a starting point, not a final product. What I hope to have shown you through these cases is that there are many different ways to define and build a relationship with your audience, and that there's not one way that is perfect or even attainable for every news organization. It is therefore important to understand what a particular approach has to offer and how that fits with the goals and resources of the organization. It all leads back to creating, as we discussed earlier, a balance between the actions and expectations of audiences on the one side and journalists on the other. And with that being said, I'm going to give the word to Mike again. 
Thanks a lot, Tammy. As this research progresses, you will be back to share more examples with us. Before ending this episode, let me address my own audience relationship. As mentioned in my message to LinkedIn, my initial concern were the views of my LinkedIn post in which I promoted my podcast. LinkedIn replied to my message and explained that something went wrong with their technology, but that their programmers had fixed the issue. By now, more than 5,000 people have viewed my post, over 90 people liked it, and in total there are more than 30 comments. A good starting point. But what's the real impact? First of all, I got a lot of feedback from people who think the topic of my research is interesting and tell me that they will follow my project. Of course, I really like to hear that. This is also confirmed by all those news organizations and journalists that reacted positively to my request for an interview. During the upcoming weeks, I'll be on the road constantly, visiting journalists and speaking to them. I've already been to Amsterdam, The Hague, Vlissingen, Breda, Tilburg, Rennes and Hilversum. The journalists that I have interviewed have provided me with great insights, which I'll address a bit more in depth next podcast. Secondly, people contacted me with interesting projects they are developing at their own news organizations. Although most of these projects have a local focus or concern business-to-business initiatives, I will also go and meet the initiative takers. I'm sure we can learn a lot from their experiences. Amongst those who approached me was Maika Olai, who wrote a book about audience engagement at the National Public Broadcaster in the Netherlands. She made a model about the motivations and needs of audiences for news and how those motivations can be translated into practical news offerings. I had coffee with her in Amsterdam and will tell you more about her work when I address the audience side of the relationship. Lastly, I've been invited to a meetup organized by LAVA, an international creative agency, in which they will discuss telling stories and engaging audiences. It will take place on Wednesday the 20th of February in Amsterdam and starts at 7.30. Maybe I'll see you there. All in all, I'm pleasantly surprised by all the feedback so far. Just like last time, I would like to invite you to let me know what you think. Feel free to contact me by email or add me on LinkedIn. We can also continue the conversation there. That was it for now. Next time, I'll tell you more. Will you click again? Dewey Click is supported by the Dutch Journalism Fund and the Erasmus Research Center for Media, Communication and Culture of the Erasmus University Rotterdam.